<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're the first American city to publish a comprehensive recovery plan. And we are currently the largest open American city economically. So I think that's a testament to the learning agility uh, of our team here in City Hall, but also truly the learning agility of all of our residents and businesses and community organizations that have had to adapt to uh, pretty challenging times. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With us today is the Deputy Mayor for Economic and Neighborhood Development, Samir Mayakar. Welcome. Hi, Fran. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for doing this. Chicago has already endured two devastating rounds of looting this summer that started in downtown and River North and spilled out into the South and West Side neighborhoods. When the grand jury in Louisville decided not to charge any of the three officers involved for the shooting death of Breonna Taylor and charged only one of them with reckless endangerment of T Taylor's neighbors, there, there was real concern that it might happen again in Chicago. How did it go last night? Well, Fran, you know, first, uh, I, I wanna say that, you know, Mayor Lightfoot's deeply troubled uh, by the fact that there appear to be two different systems of justice in this country. And so she called for a citywide moment of silence last night at seven o'clock uh, to uh, really remember um, the, the, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and, and make sure that we're all saying her name. And last night throughout the city, uh, you saw peaceful protesters expressing their First Amendment rights. Uh, and and that happened throughout all parts of the city, and there were no major incidents, uh, you know, outside of that activity. So it was a very peaceful night where the citizens of Chicago and our residents were remembering the memory of Breonna Taylor. And thank God for that. The mayor once again used hundreds of city snow plows and heavy trucks to protect the neighborhood commercial corridors. Uh, as she has done after since the first round of looting happened. How long might that be necessary, do you think? Will it continue through the weekend even? Well, I think it's important to step back and realize that we've certainly learned a lot uh, since the events of uh, the end of May and early June. And we have a, a new level of preparedness in Chicago uh, that, that really recognizes the threat from the pandemic. The pandemic has led to uh, a reduced amount of vehicular traffic and pedestrian traffic, and that poses new types of security vulnerabilities. And so under the leadership of Mayor Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown, uh, there was a five-point plan announced uh, 
that involved more agile deployment of resources, increased engagement with community and business businesses, um, enhanced use of technology, um, and an integrator integrated and faster approach to geographic lockdowns. So that's what you're referring to is when we have uh, intelligence that there could be a, a, a potential uprising or a threat that could lead to potential looting, uh, we deploy our assets throughout the neighborhoods to be at the ready um, because, you know, that's what we've learned from uh, from the events of, of the end of May. And so, you know, the city stands ready and we have different levels of preparedness and we communicate that with uh, residents and uh, business owners uh, alike to, to make sure uh, that we are, uh, you know, recognizing any potential threats. So I guess that continues through the weekend at least, right? Well, well, you know, what I can say, Fran, is that we are going to keep monitoring uh, activity, both in terms of just the level of protest activity throughout the city. Uh, and certainly uh, what's happening in the national context uh, is important to recognize as well. Um, so you, you probably heard the mayor say this quite a bit, but we are going to be on heightened alert, uh, you know, from now going until uh, the election um, and, and the aftermath of the election as well. Uh, so what's key here is that we have the ability to uh, turn on these resources very nimbly, um, you know, to respond to, to any types of activity we see on social media. I'll bet when you agreed to join Mayor Lightfoot's administration, you had no idea that you would see Chicago through a teacher strike, a historic budget crisis, a pandemic that has created extraordinary hardship and even bigger budget crisis and civil unrest triggered by the death of George Floyd. What are your thoughts on this last unbelievably tumultuous year? Well, it's certainly been a, a difficult year for the country and a difficult year for the city, given the unprecedented challenges that we face uh, due to the pandemic. And, you know, when you really think about it, you have a hundred year uh, pandemic stacked on top of a 75 year economic crisis, which is where I spent a lot of my time thinking about um, stacked on top of a 50 year level of civil uh, unrest. And so what, what I've learned, uh, you know, at least personally, you know, I, I came to, to Mayor Lightfoot's team after running my own business that I started. And, and one of the keys in entrepreneurship is learning agility. Um, and I think that's what you've seen from Mayor Lightfoot and our team is that we've been on our toes and that we've been agile learners and that we make sure not only that we have a plan uh, in the near term to handle the, the crisis of COVID, uh, and, and you've seen that, but whether it's been business response, pandemic response, uh, making sure that we're responsibly reopening the city, but also longer term that we have plans. We're the first American city to publish a comprehensive recovery plan. And we are currently the largest open American city economically. So I think that's a testament to the learning agility uh, of our team here in City Hall, but also truly the learning agility of all of our residents and businesses and community organizations that have had to adapt to uh, pretty challenging times. You often do cite your experience as a small business owner. What was that experience and how has it sensitized you? Well, you know, when I was in graduate school, I was very passionate about the issue of climate change. Um, and I served in President Obama's administration and worked in big companies, but I really wanted to branch out on my own. And so uh, I, I, I took a technology invented at uh, Argonne National Labs and Northwestern um, that's a, a material science technology. Um, and we commercialized it. So it helps batteries last longer and charge faster for electric cars and power tools. Um, and what that experience really taught me is 
that you can take an idea, recruit a great team around it, build a company, scale that company globally, and have a social impact because the end result of that is that we'll have less you know, gas burning vehicles uh, on the road. And so it was something I was deeply passionate about. But moreover, um, that company was located in Brownsville. Um, and so that, that's really where I got so interested in the, the vibrancy of our neighborhoods. Um, one of the reasons why I was a really early supporter of Mayor Lightfoot when she decided to run for mayor. You've been very much involved in the mayor's decision-making during the pandemic on how and when to reopen the Chicago economy. You and she have compared it to slowly turning a dimmer switch, not turning on the lights all at once. Restaurants and bars are now allowed to open at 25% capacity, and they're making up the difference or trying to at least a little bit outside but the cold weather is coming. It's like a sword hanging over the heads of restaurant and bar owners. How quickly might you turn the dimmer switch again to increase capacity? Well, we, you know, we've really been measured in how we reopen the economy, to your point, that, that analogy of a dimmer switch. And one of the reasons why Chicago is the largest open city in America is because of how we've handled the pandemic and how we've gradually reopened the economy. Um, you know, we've learned certainly from other cities. So there was uh, a West Coast city that went from kind of being on, on complete shelter in place to opening things up to 60 percent. Um, and they had to immediately go and lock everything down again. Um, and so what we've been able to do through our Protecting Chicago framework is go through different phases in a very methodical way uh, and, and measured way that's informed by the health metrics um, so that we can gradually turn up that dimmer switch. So currently, you're right that we're exactly at that 25% mark for most businesses and 50% for things like essential retail. Uh, and what Dr. Arwady would tell you is she's looking for, uh, you know, stability or decreasing numbers uh, when it comes to daily cases, hospitalizations, uh, uh, positivity rates, um, and, and certainly where we're seeing um, the best amount of progress since March or April is our hospital system capacity, testing capacity, you know, th those remain in, in a very good place. So we're in particular paying attention to daily case rates and the percent positivity of testing. And as we see more stability there, um, we'll be able to hopefully continue to turn up that dimmer switch, maybe not to 50%, um, but we hope to get close. And it's really going to be informed uh, by what the data tells us. When and to how much? Maybe not to 50, but to what? Uh, well, you know, somewhere between 25 and 50 percent. And in terms of when, uh, you know, we'll make sure to share that news uh, as we have it. But what I can say is that our uh, EPI team is looking at the numbers every single day. And we certainly have heard from the business community about the concerns about, uh, you know, the fact that they can't do as much business outdoors. Um, that's one of the reasons why we launched our winter dining challenge. Um, but we know that that's not going to be the only uh, lever that we need to pull. Um, so certainly we are hoping that the health metrics continue to bend so that uh, we can continue to dial up that dimmer switch. And, you know, we're optimistic about what we're seeing, uh, but we don't have any announcements right now. Yeah, the city did recently launch that competition for how to do outdoor dining during the winter like they do in Sweden and other cold weather countries. You got scores of ideas. What were the most intriguing and what were the most realistic? 
So we launched the Winter Dining Challenge uh, as a way to really think around the corner uh, because we know, we know that Chicago winters, you know, most of us like being inside. Um, but in order to, uh, you know, really adapt, because we saw so much demand for the outdoor dining program, we closed over 50, 150 streets. Um, we wanted to see what's possible. And Chicago has an amazingly vibrant architecture and design community. So we wanted to tap into that to crowdsource ideas. Uh, that's, that's one of the areas of innovation that we were interested in. So we partnered with the Restaurant Association and we partnered with uh, a worldwide renowned design firm called IDO to launch this challenge. And what's interesting to us is we were expecting maybe 100 or 200 applicants um, to see some ideas. We had 643 uh, responses, uh, which was just tremendous. And those responses came from all over the world, from 13 countries. And the ideas ranged from, you know, uh, new types of outdoor structures. Um, so you can think of those kind of igloo type uh, 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 structures to creative ideas on cultural change, you know, uh, different types of promotions uh, that we can run to, to promote why uh, eating outside in the winter um, uh, is something that, you know, could be enjoyable. Um, in, in addition to adaptive uses of spaces, you know, the, anything from using large ballrooms or convention halls uh, in terms of expanding restaurant capacity. So we've been encouraged by what we've seen, and we hope to make an announcement as to who the winners will be sometime in early October. Might you use an empty convention hall? I mean, we have McCormick Place just sitting there. Why not use that to help some of these restaurants? Well, you know, that's one of the ideas that was submitted, and certainly that's what our uh, uh, jury of reviewers is going to be looking at. Um, what's important to note is that, you know, the decisions in this design competition are going to be made by workers in restaurants, uh, by business owners who own and operate restaurants, in addition to some uh, design uh, pro professionals and some, you know, city commissioners who really understand things like building code and, and, uh, and how to use the streets safely. Um, but really, it's that industry perspective. I mean, having been a small business owner myself, you know, you, don't, you, you can't rely on the government to tell you, uh, what's good for business? You have to really make sure that the practitioners are informing that. So I'm I'm really excited to see uh, where we'll end up here in the next uh, probably two to three weeks. But some restaurant owners have complained that the city's guidelines are way too costly and restrictive. Well, look, right now we're at a place uh, in the city where when you look at uh, data from the University of Chicago Poverty Lab, we've partnered with them. They look at data from a system called Homebase. We've seen a tremendous amount of small business recovery, but there's still 25% of small businesses that are closed. And so we understand that e even though that number and that figure is better than the percentage of small businesses closed in Los Angeles, in Houston, in New York City, you know, I, we, we are definitely on a better recovery trajectory than most of our big city peers. Um, we know it's not enough, and that's one of the reasons why we're calling for more federal support of our business community. But certainly we hear the restaurant owners loud and clear. Um, but what, what's important is that, you know, what got us into this is the pandemic. And so it's going to be adherence to public health protocols and public health data that will get us out of this. And, and the statistic I would use with you, Fran, you know, when you look at a Sweden versus a, uh, a Denmark, they had very different responses to the pandemic. Sweden stayed very open, had minimal restrictions on businesses, and Denmark uh, took more of an approach that we've taken here in Chicago. And when you looked at consumer behavior, there was only about a 5% swing 
uh, in consumer behavior. And what that tells you is that people will only engage in commerce when they feel safe. And so our first and foremost duty is to make sure that they feel safe and that we tackle this pandemic responsibly. That's what's good for business. 30% of restaurants will never reopen. Some big names have already closed. How big a hit to this town that was one of the restaurant capitals of the world? These restaurants are really the heart and soul of Chicago neighborhoods. Well, we are America's culinary capital, and and we you know remain deeply concerned about um, you know potential a potential wave of small business closures. It's one of the reasons why, Fran, under Mayor Lightfoot's leadership, so we've provided or, or allocated over 150 million dollars uh, of of small business and nonprofit relief from the city, and uh, and some of our philanthropic partners. Um, and that's in the form of very low interest loans and also in the form of emergency grant assistance. And just to put that in context, um, a city like New York, which is much bigger than Chicago, they provided about $48 million of direct uh, municipal support. So we are doing 300% more than the city of New York, and we've allocated more funding than the top five cities combined. And that's because, you know, Mayor Lightfoot certainly recognizes how important the small business community, especially that restaurant community, is to the vibrancy of our city and our neighborhoods. Those establishments are the heart and soul of their communities. And so we know that we are certainly stepping up to the plate to allocate as much funding as we can, but we know it's not going to be enough right now. And that's why we are really uh, lobbying Washington hard to provide more relief. Just to put that in context, in the Chicagoland area, there was about $4 billion of PPP relief uh, that was provided, and that helped tens of thousands of businesses. But the city program uh, that, that we've stood up has really filled in the cracks for those businesses that don't have stable lending relationships and couldn't tap into that PPP program. Uh, 30% of African-American-owned small businesses have stable lending relationships. So that means 70% of them um, most likely weren't tapping into many of those federal programs, and that's why the city stepped in with our own uh, programs to the tune of about $150 million. A few weeks ago, you and Sam Skinner, both of you prime movers behind the roadmap to economic recovery that the mayor released in early July, appeared together virtually, of course, before the city club. You both said that you thought Chicago was poised for a comeback from the pandemic because of spending growth it's already seen and also because of the careful management of the reopening. What makes you so sure that Chicago is coming roaring back from all this? Well, you know, we have to be informed in a pretty data-driven way. So let me give you just some, some statistics that might clarify this in terms of recovery. So, you know, I think the first, let, let's separate this into a few buckets, right? So the first bucket is how we've handled the pandemic. So when you compare us to a Florida or a Texas or a California or a New York, you know, we've been much steadier in how we have tackled COVID um, and we just haven't had those tremendous spikes where you've had to immediately go and shut things down again um, uh, or where you've seen a huge resurgence in cases. So, you know, Illinois and Chicago has remained fairly steady, especially in the city of Chicago. And that's the most important thing. The recovery is just, you know, having a steady trajectory so that there's a predictable environment. Secondly, you have to look at consumer spending data. So we track very, very closely consumer spending data. 
And uh, this is something that I get, uh, you know, multiple times a day from our, our partners in, in banks. And um, the data that I'll cite is from Bank of America, but they can track uh, consumer spending as a proxy of credit card and debit card spending data. And we are consistently in the top one, two, three, or four cities um, in terms of consumer spending growth. And, and, uh, and that's because of the diversity of our economy, because no one sector of the Chicago economy occupies more than 14% of the, of the economy, but also because we've been very consistent in how we've handled COVID. So when you look at a New York or a Seattle or a Los Angeles or a San Francisco, you know, they're further down the pack uh, because of more inconsistencies uh, or more, more industry concentration. And so Chicago has been, you know, really consistent with that growth. And that's a testament also as to why we're one of the most open economies uh, in, in the country. But also when you look to longer term recovery, you know, we have a plan that recognizes the need for economic stimulus, for mental health uh, initiatives, and for marketing and business development. And so we have this long-term plan where we're already starting to see some dividends in industries like filming, where we've gone and pitched every film studio and production house in the country um, uh, very quickly and rapidly, where a lot of those producers said, wow, you know, Chicago's being very proactive. We're glad you're reaching out to us. And actually, we got three shows we're interested in filming, and we'd love to bring them to Chicago, so let's have a conversation. Um, so we are not only you know, looking at the kind of sidewalk in front of us uh, to cautiously take steps to handle COVID, but we're looking over the horizon uh, to make sure that we have a long-term plan. And, and the analogy I use, I'm a runner. You know, When you look over the horizon when you're jogging, you end up actually going faster and taking bigger strides in the right direction. And I think that's what we've done under the mayor's leadership in terms of both short-term handling COVID, uh, but also longer-term having a pathway to recovery, um, because that's going to be vital, um, because we know that COVID is going to change consumer behavior, workplace behavior and norms, and also, uh, you know, how the city needs to, needs to respond. What about the future of downtown offices? How long might it take for the downtown workforce to return? Or will it ever return to pre-pandemic levels? What if it doesn't? What if work from home becomes a permanent phenomenon? Well, this is certainly on the minds of folks here in City Hall and certainly of the business community with whom we engage on a daily basis. And you know what I'll say, so if you look at uh, downtown occupancy, um, right now, most transit-dependent cities like New York and Chicago um, are at about 10% of uh, normal capacity. Um, so we are not kind of uh, an aberration from what you see nationally, um, but it, it's pretty consistent um, in that 8 to 10% uh, range in, in most large cities. And, and so one of the things we've done is we've got all the real estate brokers and building owners together and asked them, what are you hearing or what are you seeing? What are the trends um, that you're observing? And there's a really interesting report on the future of the workplace that Cushman and Wakefield put out. They took a survey of tens of thousands of uh, uh, office workers across the world. And what they found is that there, there will be a, a potential shift to what you could call an, a workplace ecosystem where you very much are going to need your core office, your hub campus, um, um, and oftentimes that's downtown. Nothing can replace uh, uh, you know, interpersonal interactions. You just can't get that over Zoom, and there are intangibles to being in the workplace that are vital uh, to mental health, to camaraderie, to workplace culture, 
Um, and also, you know, the folks that are being the most impacted are the youngest workers. They might have roommates. They might work in or live in very uh, small quarters, and, and they want to be back in the office. And they also need that mentorship so they can rise to the organization and gain the skills they need. For that reason, we, you know, we, we don't expect to see a fallout of the downtown office market. It's just a matter of getting the vaccine in place and having people feel safe um, so you'll have a, a, a higher return to work. Now, we are going to be engaging and, um, you know, encouraging employers to gradually bring folks back to work uh, in a way that's safe and voluntary. And we're hearing from a lot of employers that they want to begin doing that. But part of that workplace ecosystem beyond that core office and hub campus is really recognizing that they're going to be uh, possibly more demand for third places in the city for those lunch or coffee or informal meetings. And that means uh, that that's very aligned with our agenda on neighborhood development. There could be the need for more local community hubs. Um, there could be the need for more on-demand on event space. Um, and additionally, there could be some increased work from home. Um, and, and that would in place an office place in terms of folks having a little bit more space to themselves given social distancing needs. Um, but also if some folks are taking their Mondays or Fridays or working from home a little more often, you could see the increase of what they call hoteling in office buildings where you have more flexible office spaces uh, to adapt to the time. So what we're hearing from CEOs is, you know, they're, they're taking all this in, really hearing from their workers um, and, and not making big decisions one way or the other on the, on the future of their real estate platform, um, but, but trying to recognize um, that there are changes that are being made, um, but they're kind of difficult to predict, and we need to, uh, you know, see what happens as this pandemic unfolds. But those trends in that Cushman and Wakefield report, I think, are very well worth a read. So you expect the office market downtown to return fully or to 70 percent and over what time? Well, you know, I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but what I can tell you is, uh, you know, companies and, and workers definitely want to be back to work in a way that's safe. And so we do expect recovery in the office market. It just might look a little bit different than before. I don't think anyone thinks um, that post-COVID um, that, that, that there will be completely what you could say back to normal. There will be a new normal, but that new normal doesn't necessarily mean a net decrease in lease space. It could mean increased space for common areas, increased space for workers. You know, there was a big trend to kind of cramming people in an open floor, uh, in an open floor plan. I think you're going to see more kind of uh, a safe distancing and hoteling that's going to happen. And so net net, it might not actually mean a loss of square footage. Um, I think what, what's most important is that businesses get relief uh, in terms of support from Washington, and that the economy gets back up and running, because obviously you need to have, uh, you know, your top line as a business grow. You need to be profitable as well on the bottom line, and that's the most key thing to making sure uh, that you can kind of afford those real estate obligations that you carry. You've also been instrumental in the efforts to finally, after decades, bring a casino and entertainment complex to Chicago. The Illinois General Assembly revamped the tax structure to make that possible and authorized Chicago to open a temporary casino to take advantage of the jackpot of revenues while a permanent casino is built. The city plans to do that. Where should the temporary casino be located? McCormick Place East seems like the most likely location. It's just sitting there empty. Well, Fran, you know, I can't get into details on sites with casinos. Uh, you know, what, one of the things we've seen in other municipalities um, uh, about casinos is 
uh, tremendous amounts of real estate speculation. This is something Detroit saw. Uh, and so, you know, really, I have to commend the mayor uh, for, you know, getting something done through the, through the legislature that hasn't been done. It's, it's been a conversation for 30 years, but Mayor Lightfoot made it happen. Um, and the casino has the potential to support, you know, two to three hundred million dollars annually in uh, in supporting police and fire pensions. In addition to, you know, the construction of the casino generating uh, what could be thousands of jobs and a significant economic development opportunity. So the city uh, has put out a RFP uh, to the development and casino community. We're very eager to see what responses we get in terms of ideas on potential parts of the city uh, for, for development, in terms of potential concepts of a casino. Um, and, and, you know, that will close later this year. And we're, we're excited uh, in terms of the responses that we'll get in terms of making the Chicago casino a reality. Invest Southwest was the mayor's very highest priority before the pandemic made it worse with more empty storefronts. How is that going? Well, Invest Southwest is a program very near and dear to Mayor Lightfoot and certainly on a personal level to me. Um, It's a program we're tremendously proud of. And just for those of you who might not be aware of it, it's a commitment that the mayor has made to the tune of $750 million of public funding uh, to catalyze neighborhood investment in 10 commercial corridors on the south and the west side. And the goal of this program is to take that $750 million and deploy it in a way that generates a multiplier of, pub- of uh, private investment, uh, because we know that uh, you know, the business community is, is vital uh, uh, to economic development uh, throughout our neighborhoods. The government's a very small part of that equation. And, uh, you know, we're very encouraged as to what we've seen. I- I'd say we're in the mode of Invest Southwest of making sure we're laying down the foundation. We've built an incredible team here. Uh, you know, Maurice Cox, our new planning commissioner, is, is a key element of that team. We have neighborhood roundtables being kicked off with communities throughout those 10 areas. We have a lot of infrastructure that is starting to be built in those areas, a lot of street work uh, and pedestrian safety improvements that have already taken place. And most recently, uh, uh, under Maurice's leadership, we've launched three RFPs, one in Auburn-Gresham, one in Englewood, and one in Austin on the west side, uh, to put forth city-owned land and and a lot of uh, financial resources from the city to encourage private development in very uh, important sites for communities. An old firehouse in Englewood, the Laramie State Bank in Austin, and a vacant plot of land across from uh, a site that won the Chicago Prize in Auburn-Gresham. And, and so we uh, have you know, put out architectural renderings of what those sites could look like, and we're putting in, I think, 40-plus percent of the, of the financing of those projects. And we very much want to see uh, developers from all over the city partner uh, with uh, local community developers uh, to bring us concepts as to how we can make those RFPs and, and uh, uh, you know, get them to the stage of development. So we'll be starting with C and then rolling those out in each of the corridors. And that, that's going to be a key initiative as well. But Invest Southwest, I should mention, isn't just about corridors. It's also about the housing around those corridors and building more housing and uh, creating jobs as well, in addition to programming and arts and culture. So pre-COVID, we had a lot of plans to get a significant amount of arts and culture programming moving. Now, that's obviously been on hold uh, due to safety concerns, but you're going to see more murals, really innovative lighting, and a tremendous amount of transformation of the physical realm um, in neighborhoods, which is core to what Mayor Lightfoot believes in, in terms of that investment south of Roosevelt Road and west of Ashland. 
before we go, let's do a lightning round of a couple of quick topics. The convention business. How are you going to bring it back? How long might it take? So, you know, McCormick Place has seen a significant amount of cancellations. It is a crown jewel in the Chicago economy. Uh, you know, it's the largest convention center in North America. And so we are working with the team at, at, at McCormick Place to make sure that we are not only, uh, you know, retaining future conventions uh, for post-pandemic, but also that we're adapting to what we would call the unconventional convention. You're seeing a lot of hybridization uh, going on with conventions where you have kind of production studios, um, some virtual elements taking place. And, and so we uh, are doing a lot of work uh, to really adapt to the times um, in the spirit of learning agility that I talked about earlier, uh, to making sure that McCormick Place will recover, obviously, in a COVID-informed way, and that the future of conventions uh, and the pace that will be set there will be set by our great team at McCormick Place. O'Hare expansion, $8.7 billion. Sam Skinner said he was a U.S. transportation secretary. He said that the airlines are facing the biggest challenge in their history, even bigger than 9-11. How do you go forward with the same timetable and the same money when the airlines are reeling? Well, you know, we and Mayor Lightfoot certainly has engaged with the CEOs of all the major carriers, and everyone is committed to O'Hare modernization. You know, large public infrastructure projects are key to economic recovery, but also we know that one day this pandemic will be over, people will be ready to travel, uh, and certainly when you look at the airline projections, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be back. And, and O'Hare is really key uh, in terms of economic activity in Chicago, and that's why we're so committed to that modernization program and what it means for the future of our, our economy. So we are absolutely prioritizing that, and uh, the carriers as well know um, that, uh, you know, that there will be a recovery and uh, they're going to need that gate space uh, and those enhanced amenities and that global terminal to better serve the customer demands of the future. And also that space uh, can really be COVID informed as well. So we're uh, certainly looking forward uh, to that program and, and, and taking meaningful steps forward. But bid documents show it could not maybe not be the same timetable. Uh, you know, I, what, what I'd say on that is, uh, you know, certainly when you when you talk with Commissioner Ree, she has a more detailed sense of that. Um, but we are fully committed to the modernization program and, and advancing it. Um, you know, obviously, COVID has impacted many timetables. Um, um, but but, you know, the mayor is deeply committed uh, to advancing O'Hare modernization. And finally, that roadmap for recovery included some interesting things, uh, a portable benefits program for gig workers, subsidized child care, a 211 line for mental health emergencies, uh, um, a, a, a health checkoff like the Zagat restaurant survey. So, so patrons feel safe. What might we see first and quickly? So we are, you know, proud to have published the first comprehensive recovery plan of any American city. And Fran, I'm very glad that you've read it in detail. Uh, and, you know, what I'd expect in 2021 are some of the elements you just identified. You know, we're very committed to making progress on launching a uh, mental health uh, system citywide, which is that 211 system that's, that's very important coming out of COVID. I would also expect to see comprehensive economic development uh, uh, pitches happening in certain sectors like life sciences, transportation, distribution, logistics, and warehousing, manufacturing, food and agriculture. We have some early wins there. There's a company called Xeris Pharmaceuticals moving from San Diego 
to come here to Chicago and West Loop at a life sciences hub. Uh, additionally, you know, there's a, a, a site in Amazon that'll be opening up for last mile logistics next month, and I expect many more to come. Uh, so we're, we're going to see certainly some more corporate activity and growth in some of those key sectors. And the, the final thing I'll, I'll mention is you're going to see more purposeful uh, uh, marketing going on. You know, we've brought on a rare talent in the city in, in Michael Fastnock, who's our chief marketing officer. And, uh, you know, we have big plans on how to market Chicago, both to our own residents, but also to talent who's looking to maybe leave the coast and come back to the Midwest if, if they have roots here. Um, in addition uh, to, uh, to tourists, uh, both globally and domestically. So 2021 will also be a year of, uh, of branding Chicago. You want to share a slogan? Uh, you know what? That will, I will leave that to Michael because uh, I, that that is not my forte. But I, I am really encouraged by the work that that team is doing um, in a way that's incredibly informed by the community, and it's going to be a significant engagement process before we roll out uh, any initiative like that in 2021. I'll bet it'll it'll be clever. Samir Mayakar, thank you so very much for joining us. I'm glad you're a runner because you have a marathon ahead. Yeah, thank you, friend. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>